How many of you have ever played tennis? Wow, quite a few tennis players here. Um, what is a skill in tennis that is difficult to learn but essential to master if you want to win? Yeah, there it is, serving. If you want to win in tennis, you have to learn how to do what? Serve well. How many of you have ever played this sport? Volleyball. This is a, a big deal in our family. Our daughter, Liz, played volleyball beginning in ninth grade, all through high school, all through college, and we've seen a lot of volleyball games. But our daughter spent a lot of time and effort to learn how to serve well, because if you want to win in volleyball, you have to serve well. How about this? If you want to win in life, you have to learn how to serve well. And let's say that you really wanted to learn how to serve well. You wanted to learn how to meet the needs of the people that God's placed in your life. Who would you want to be your teacher? Well, obviously somebody who knows a lot about serving, somebody that has a lot of experience, a great track record, and who do you think that would be? Now listen, I've told you this before. If I ask you a question on Sunday morning and you don't know the answer, a good guess is always Jesus. And that's the answer this morning. Because Jesus came to our world as a servant. That's his job description. In fact, he said this, I didn't come to be served, but to serve others. And Jesus is best qualified to teach us how to improve our serve in this world. Because Jesus came to meet needs. Not just of the people out there, he came to meet your needs. Your need to be loved, your need to be understood and accepted, your need to be forgiven, your need to know your purpose in life. Jesus began a world-class service organization. It's called the church. And membership in this world-class service organization is very countercultural because as a follower of Christ, you are called to live as Jesus lived, to be a servant to the people that God has placed in your life. Now today, we're continuing our series called We Are the Church. And today we're going to be looking at some verses in chapter 4 of Ephesians, and that's going to be on page 948 if you've got one of the brown Bibles that we provided for you. As a church, we have been called by God to serve well. In fact, one of my responsibilities as your pastor is to teach you and equip you to serve well. So let's take a look at this passage. This is chapter 4, beginning with verse 11 where Paul, a follower of Jesus in the first century, says this about Jesus. He says, It was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Now, the idea here is that people in these positions have been gifted by Christ for their role in the church. And what is that role? Verse 12 tells us, To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now today I want to do this. I want to address three questions about serving that I think are so important for us to answer. And the first question is this. What is the basis? What is the reason for serving? And it's there on your outline. I mean, why should we even be concerned about meeting the needs of people that God has placed in our lives? And let me just give you a very brief but compelling answer, and here it is. You have been, as a follower of Christ, you have been created to serve, saved to serve, called to serve, and commanded to serve. As followers of Christ, we have been created to serve, saved to serve, called to serve, commanded 
to serve. And let me say this, if you're here this morning and you have questions about the Christian faith, you're not sure what it means to be a follower of Jesus, I hope this message will help clarify that for you. Because the call to follow Jesus is a call to live as he lived, and that means being a servant. Now look at this verse from Ephesians. It says this, for we are God's workmanship. That word can also be translated masterpiece. When you look in the mirror, you need to realize that you are God's masterpiece, his workmanship created, as Paul says, in Christ Jesus to make a lot of money. What does it say there? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And notice this verse in Philippians. It says, your attitude, my attitude, should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. How many of you ever need an attitude adjustment? We all do, don't we? And we need our attitude to be aligned with the attitude of Jesus Christ. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, because he's part of the Trinity. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He's the second person of the Trinity, who being in very nature God, notice this, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And what Paul is saying is that Jesus isn't holding on to his rights and privileges as God. He's letting them go. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a what? Servant. When Jesus comes to our world and he serves, he's not disguising who God is. He's revealing the very nature and heart of God because God is a servant. Okay, it's clear that we have been created to serve. That's why God made us one of our purposes in, in living. He saved us to serve. He's called us to serve. He's commanded us to serve. But what about this next question on your outline? What are the benefits of serving? What are the benefits if we really take Jesus seriously? And look again at this passage. I want you to notice something. Jesus gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and, and teachers and, and pastors to the church, verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be what? What are the next two words? Built up. Built up. Now look at the statement on your outline. Serving is how the church is built up. And this happens as we meet people's needs. Serving is how the church is built up, and this happens as we meet people's needs. Now I know that every single Sunday, as people walk through these doors, they come with needs. And I think about that so often. I know that some of you, when you came through these doors right here this morning, you needed wisdom because you've got a really important decision to make. It could be a decision about your job or your family or your, your life. And you need God to tell you what to do. You come with a need for wisdom. Some of you this morning are really just discouraged. And you need a word of encouragement from God just to keep going and keep trusting Him. Some of you this morning need hope because as you look at your life, you can't even imagine how things could possibly work out. Well, God can show you that you can trust him with the outcome. Some of you today, are, today are, are lonely and you need a friend. Some of you are in need of comfort because you have a broken heart. Some of you really messed up this week and you need God's forgiveness. We all come to this place with needs. And I'm really encouraged because week after week we have new people who are coming through these doors and guess what every person comes in with needs. Maybe you're here today for the very first time. And like all of us, you have significant needs in your life. Well, church, here's a very important question. How are we going to meet all these needs? Because the reality is this. A church cannot grow beyond its capacity 
to meet needs. So what's our strategy? How are we going to do it? Well, we've got a number of different strategies, and I've shared a number of these before, but let me just clarify what our, our plans are in terms of meeting needs. One of the very best ways to meet people's needs is to connect people in small groups. And I know that over the years, so many of you have been a part of a small group, and you've experienced that. In fact, if you've ever had your need met through the ministry of a small group, just, just raise your hand. I mean, quite a few of you have. And, and I was really excited because yesterday we had a, a training seminar, and some of the people that were there yesterday are, are here this morning, but it was a long time. It was from 8 o'clock till 4 o'clock. It went by very quickly. But we have this new ministry that we're preparing to launch called Stephen Ministry. And I've been telling you about this. And the idea is that when somebody here in our church family goes through a, a major challenge or crisis, like the death of a loved one or an illness or an injury or the loss of a job or a divorce, there's somebody in our church that can come alongside them for an extended period of time to walk with them and encourage them and to meet their needs. So we're training people to do that. Another way that we meet needs, we have people that will visit you in the hospital if you're sick or bring a, a meal to your house. We have ministry teams and ministry partnerships. But here's what I want you to understand. It's good that the church has programs to meet needs. We want to do that. But realize this. If God puts somebody in your path who has a need, there's a good chance that God wants you to try to meet that need yourself or to find somebody who can. So church, you are free to act as individuals to meet the needs of people here in your church family. And what happens when we really do that, when we take God seriously? The church is, well, Paul says it, it is built up. Now, when the church gets built up, who gets the credit? Who should get the credit? Remember, if you don't know the answer, yeah. Jesus, God, God's spirit, God gets the credit. In fact, look at this verse from 2 Corinthians. It says, for this service you perform not only meets the needs of God's people, but also produces an outpouring of gratitude to God. When you are in the receiving end of service, when somebody steps into your life and meets a need, you should thank God for that person. That's what this verse is reminding us to do. So what are the benefits of serving? Well, first of all, it's how the church is built up as we meet people's needs. And secondly, serving is an important way we reach spiritual maturity and experience joy. Serving is an important way we reach spiritual maturity and experience joy. Now look at this passage in Ephesians again. Verse 12 says that all these different people are given to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And then Paul goes on to say this, until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become, what's the next word? Mature. And so one of God's best strategies for growing us up in terms of our spiritual maturity, our emotional maturity, our character is through serving others. Week before last, my wife Chris and I had the privilege of traveling to Columbia, South America and we were serving on a team that's sponsored by Voice of the Martyrs, and we were hosting a conference for persecuted pastors and their families. And Chris and I have been talking about our trip ever since we've returned, and one of the things that we've talked about is the fact that when we serve on these kinds of ministry teams, it is such a delight. It, it just is. And one of the reasons for that is that the people on these teams are serious about serving Jesus. And you can see it in their lives. There is this, this joy, this, this love, this peace that just kind of flows from their heart 
to yours. And one of the practical things about a team like this is that when things go wrong, people don't complain. And man, that's really great to be with people that just don't complain. We were on the plane um, in Miami getting ready to um, go to Bogota, and the, the captain came on the intercom and said, hey, um, just wanted to let you know that the right engine won't start. <laughs> and he said, well, and we need both engines to take off. And so we sat there on the runway for quite some time, hours, waiting for the you know, plane to get ready to take off. And you know what? Not a peep. Nobody complained. We were trying to get our luggage and get through customs in Bogota, and they were holding us up and interrogating us. And everybody in the team... In, they didn't just not complain, they prayed. And there was joy and there was peace. And it's such, such a delight to serve with them. And, and Chris and I were talking too about the fact that at these conferences, there is a connection that we sense. And I've shared this before with other believers. And it's because the same spirit that lives in me lives in them. The Holy Spirit connects us. And when we worship together, there is this incredible sense of joy in the midst of some really intense persecution. Um, we heard stories that I really can't even share in this setting because they're so graphic about the, the kinds of persecution that these pastors and their wives and their families are going through. But they are so resolute in their commitment to serve Jesus Christ despite all obstacles. And one of the things that's really fascinating to me is that the children of these pastors and their wives are serious servants as well. In fact, we have a team that travels with us and their express purpose is to minister to the kids. And we have between 90 and 100 children on this trip. And this children's ministry team was absolutely incredible. On one of the days, we started at eight o'clock in the morning. And our team, the speaking team and the other team, we came back to the hotel and had dinner and then went back. The children's ministry team was there from eight in the morning till about 10 or 11 at night, all day long. Now that... That's pretty significant, isn't it? And so at the end of this really long day, when we saw them, we said, well, how did it go? How are you guys doing? And you would expect them to say, man, we're beat. It was really hard. But you know what they said? It was great. We had the most terrific time. These kids were amazing. And it's because they're servants of Jesus Christ. And they're willing to do whatever it takes to follow Jesus and to serve him and his people well. When we were getting ready to return from our trip, I had a conversation with the man who's the, the program director for Voice of the Martyrs. He's a program director for Latin America. And his name is Daniel Hernandez, and he pastors a church in Hialeah where I used to work as a firefighter. And Chris and I have both been to his church, and it's a terrific ministry that he has there in the city of Hialeah. And uh, Daniel said to me, he says, there's two things I want to ask of you. And I said, what? He says, well, number one, would you come and speak at my church? And the second is, um, we're getting ready to um, have another pastor's conference. This time, we're hoping to serve about 400 pastors, and it's in Mexico. And I remember thinking, okay, um, what an opportunity. And so I came home, and I was talking to people about this opportunity to go and serve in Mexico. What was interesting to me is that typically the first question I encountered was this, is it safe? In Mexico? And I remember when Daniel first talked to me about this, the first question I asked myself was not, is it safe? The first question I asked is, Lord, do you want me to go? Because church, listen, serving Jesus Christ involves a risk. 
not a reckless risk, but a calculated risk. Because Jesus himself said, if you want to follow me, count the what? Yeah, count the cost. Because listen, being a servant of Jesus Christ will cost you something. It'll cost you your time, your emotional energy. It costs you your money. You have to make an investment. But here's the deal. If you want to be an authentic follower of Jesus Christ, you have to learn how to be a servant. And one of the things that was so inspiring because of our time in, in Colombia was the fact that despite persecution, these pastors just keep on persevering and being faithful servants. And I know that that brings joy to the heart of God. And church, here's the reality. I think that unless something dramatic changes in this country, that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are going to face persecution like we have never seen before. And I think that a lot of that persecution initially is going to be directed toward pastors. And we're already seeing that happen. There are people right now that are trying to write legislation. They're trying to pass laws so that if a pastor just stands up on a Sunday morning and preaches clearly what the Word of God says about social issues, that pastor could be accused of hate speech and go to jail. That's how far we've come in this country. But I know this. If you look at it historically, every time the church has been persecuted, the church has grown. The people of God have flourished and served with even more passion and more joy. And I think, too, about what the Apostle Paul said. I mean, here's a guy who's no stranger to persecution and suffering, and he said this in the book of Acts. He said, I count my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And listen, there are forces in this world that do not want the gospel preached anywhere, in churches, in schools, in businesses. They don't want the voice of God in the public sector. But here's the truth. The gospel is unstoppable. And the gospel changes lives. It has radically, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, Jesus himself has radically changed my life and my marriage and my family. And I know that's so true for so many of you. Because the gospel has this power. Paul said it this way, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the complete rescue, the salvation of everyone who believes. I have a friend who just got back from China and there were times where he had to hide because these officials were looking for people on his team. The church is despised and hated by the government, but here's what's so remarkable. The government in China does not know what to do with the church. The church is growing at this explosive rate. Thousands of people every day in China are dedicating their lives to Jesus Christ. Why? Because they heard the gospel. Because they heard that there's a God who loves them. There is hope. There's a purpose for my life. And as servants of Jesus Christ, we have this incredible privilege and opportunity not just to hear the gospel, not just to experience it for ourselves, but to share it with others. And church, that's why every... Every chance I get, I like to tell people about the gospel. And I, I tell you all the time because every time that I hear the story of what God has done, I'm encouraged. And we talked about it a few weeks ago. On Sunday mornings as I share the bad news and the good news, it equips you to do what? To do the same thing, to share the bad news and the good news. To give people hope and to help them understand there's a purpose. Because we all have two huge problems that we can't solve. And what are they? You should know this, Right? Sin and death, and they're connected because we've sinned, because we violated God's commands, 
And because God is holy and just, he says there's a punishment, and that's to die and to be separated from him forever. But there is incredibly good news because what's God's answer for sin? It starts with the letter F. Forgiveness. And how is that forgiveness possible? Well, Jesus has to leave his home in heaven. The second person of the Trinity, God the Son, becomes a human being. He becomes a servant. And he lives the perfect life that we could never live. He allows himself to be arrested and beaten and hung on a cross. And on that cross, God makes our forgiveness possible because Jesus dies for us. He's never done one wrong thing in his whole life. And so God is willing to do this. He's willing to take your sin and mine and put it on Jesus. And Jesus is punished instead of you and me. The anger that God would have toward us for our sin is poured out on Christ and he dies. But he doesn't stay dead. He comes back to life and Jesus is offering us the life we've always wanted. A life of joy and purpose and peace. But listen, that life comes when you say, look, Jesus, I I get it. I'm a sinner and I need you to save me. I believe you died for me. You rose from the dead. I want to follow you. And when you make that choice, you are now a servant of Jesus Christ. And let me say this. I am so encouraged by the servants here in our church. I am so thankful for the commitment and, and just the faithfulness. I was, I was talking earlier this morning um, about the fact that I was here yesterday on Saturday and, and we were here kind of early. And there were all these kids out back getting ready to play football. And these really cute little girls in cheerleader outfits. And there were coaches and referees. And there were people here from the worship team that were practicing for today. And there were all these people being trained as, as Stephen ministers. And I thought, what is the common thread that ties all of this together? And here's what it is. People are serving. They're serving. And when that happens, I know that that brings joy to the heart of God. I can just imagine Jesus up in heaven going, hey, Father, look at this. They're doing what I told them. Isn't that great? And listen, when you serve other people, it not only brings joy to the heart of God, it brings joy to us as we serve together. And so here's here's what I want to happen this morning. If you're serving, I, I want you to be encouraged. Your service is appreciated. And you're bringing joy to the heart of God and encouragement to our church family. I want you to know that. And if you're out here on the sidelines and you're kind of looking at people serving, I want you to get on the field and really experience these benefits of service because we know this. There are certain barriers to serving. Isn't that true? There are things that make it hard to serve. So I very quickly want to point out three. Are you ready? And the purpose is so we can tear down these barriers and really serve with all of our hearts. So... What are the barriers to serving? Number one, a primary focus on yourself. A primary focus on yourself. This is a story that I I tested on the Stephen Ministry Group yesterday. I want to share it with you. It's about serving. A man went to the doctor, and the doctor examined him carefully, then called the man's wife into his office. The doctor said, your husband is suffering from a rare form of anemia. Without treatment, he'll be dead in a few weeks. The good news is it can be treated with proper nutrition. So this is what you'll need to do. Get up early every morning, fix your husband a hot breakfast, pancakes, bacon and eggs, the works. And then he'll need a home-cooked lunch every day and then an old-fashioned meat and potatoes dinner um, every single evening. It would also be helpful if you could bake frequently. Cakes, pies, homemade bread, those are the things that will keep your husband alive. Uh, One more thing, his immune system is very weak, so it's important that your home be kept spotless at all times. 
Do you have any questions? The wife said, no. Then the doctor asked, well, do you want to break the news to your husband or do you want me to do it? The wife volunteered to do it herself. She walked into the exam room and her husband, sensing the seriousness of his illness, asked her, it's bad, isn't it? She nodded, tears welling up in her eyes. What's going to happen to me, he asked. With a sob, his wife blurted out, the doctor says, you're going to die. <laughs> Serving really is the opposite of our natural inclination. When we come to this world, who are we primarily focused on? ourselves. And that's why the Bible says this, don't be selfish. Don't be self-centered. Don't live to make a good impression on others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and what they are doing. Now, pride is a very insidious thing. And so I'd like to give you some signs that you might have a pride problem. Are you ready this morning? I'm just going to be really blunt. Okay, here's the first, vanity. Vanity. And this is a preoccupation with your appearance or your image. If you've ever exercised in spandex, could be a problem for you. If you've ever exercised in spandex in front of a large mirror, probably definitely is a problem. And here's another, um, stubbornness. This is another sign of pride. And this is the kind of pride that, that makes us immune to correction. Um, when somebody points out a mistake or a flaw or a failure, you either deny, you blame somebody else, or you get defensive. Now, have you ever noticed this, that the defensive people do not generally thank you for pointing out their defensiveness? Here's, here's the third, and really this is the most serious sign of pride, exclusion, exclusion. And this is the choice to exclude God or people from their rightful place in your heart. Instead of serving God and others, your chief concern is to serve yourself. And church, Jesus said that the essence of spiritual health, in fact, the essence of spiritual life is to love God and to love people. And here's why pride is so damaging. Pride destroys our capacity to love God and others. So the first barrier to serving is a primary focus on yourself. Here's barrier number two, a life characterized by unbalanced busyness. A life characterized by unbalanced busyness. Look at this, this passage. This is from a prayer that Jesus prayed right before he went to the cross. And he's talking to his father and he says, I glorified you on earth by completing down to the last detail what you assigned me to do. Jesus was really clear on his assignment from God. Now that's a dramatic statement. Jesus says, I finished all the work you gave me to do. Now was Jesus ever busy? What do you think? Yes, he was extremely, extremely busy. Do you think that Jesus had what you might call a balanced busyness? And I would say yes, because he lived according to God's priorities. You know, Jesus didn't cut short his prayer time in the morning with his father so that he could somehow do a few more miracles. Jesus spent a lot of time with people, but he spent a lot of time alone as well. Jesus had a life that was busy, but it was ordered by God's priorities. And that is so important for us. Because one of the reasons that people often give for not serving is, I'm too what? I'm too busy. Now think about this. If I ask you to write down your priorities this morning, if you took out a piece of paper and you just listed them, 
you know, one, two, three, four. Many of you would say, okay, well, God's, you know, my first priority, then my marriage, my family, whatever, and you just list your priorities. But consider this. What would happen if somebody videotaped your life for an entire week? And then they looked at this videotape, and then they looked at your stated priorities. Would they actually match? Would they be the same? And here's why I ask this question. Because serving other people is not something that we just tack on to an already busy schedule. It's a way of life. Where we are concerned about every person that God puts in our path. That's what it means to be a servant like Jesus. And there's one more barrier to serving that I want to look at. It's number three, a lack of confidence. Which is often a very significant barrier. Somebody will be invited to serve and they'll say, I just, I can't do that. That's too hard. I'm not ready. Now, there's a story in the Bible about a man who reacted in much the same way. This is in the book of Exodus. God wants to set his people free from slavery in Egypt. And so who does he draft for that assignment? Who knows? Yes, Moses. But Moses isn't convinced that he's the best candidate for this job. And when God seeks to induct Moses into his selective service, Moses has what you might call a crisis of confidence. And we pick the story up in Exodus chapter 3 where God says to Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of Egypt. And how does Moses respond to this incredible opportunity to serve God and serve God's people? But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God, I'm just a nobody. Now God realizes that Moses needs his confidence to be boosted, so God says to Moses, I will be with you. And then God explains how the whole deal is going to work out. And Moses thinks about that for a few minutes, and then he says this. Well, what if they do not believe me or listen to me? Now, Moses is just full of one excuse after another. And so God gives him some miraculous signs that he can perform. And some of you know the story, because you read it in the Bible or you saw the movie, that there are these things that Moses does because God enables him to do it. He has this staff, this wooden staff, and he throws it down. And what, what happens to the staff? Who knows? Yeah, it turns into a snake. And he does these miraculous things like he turns the, the water in the Nile River to blood. But Moses, despite God's promise of these miraculous powers, is still reluctant to serve. Now look at this next verse. Moses pleaded, oh Lord, I'm, I'm just not a good speaker. I never have been and I'm not now. Even after you've spoken to me for I have a speech impediment. And I love, I absolutely love how God answers Moses in this next verse. Who makes a man so that he can speak or not speak, see or not see, hear or not hear? Now go ahead and do as I tell you, for I will help you to speak well, and I will tell you what to say. Now you would expect that at this point, Moses would go, oh yeah, that's great God, let's do this. But how does he respond to the next verse? But Moses said, Lord, please send someone else. Now, I'm really glad that God put this story in the Bible because so many times that's our response. God is promised, look, I'll go with you. I'll tell you what to say. I'll give you my power. And we say, you know, God, would you just yeah, maybe send somebody else? I want you to do this. If you'll look at your outline, there's a way to rate yourself when it comes to being a servant. And realize this, when we talk about being called to serve, you know, some people say, well, you know, God calls pastors and missionaries and nuns and priests and stuff, but not somebody like me. If you're a Christian, God has called you to serve. And here's a way that you can think about how you're doing in terms of, of service. 
And I know there's not enough time to really do this this morning because it's going to require some reflection. But let me just walk you through this because there's a little chart there. And you can rate yourself in different categories from a 1 to a 10. A 10 is if um, you're such a devoted servant that you would give Mother Teresa a run for her money. Now, I know that's not really good comparison because Mother Teresa didn't have any money, but you get the idea. And a one, means, a one means that you're so focused on yourself and so selfish that you make the Grinch look like Mother Teresa. Okay, so you get the idea, one to ten. Now, think about this. When it comes to serving your spouse, if you're married, how are you doing? And when I look at that, I think about this question. What am I doing to make my wife's life just a little bit easier? Now, if you're really brave, you could ask your spouse to rate you as well and see what number they put down. Maybe you could average those and that'd be closer to reality. But think about that. How are you doing? Serving your children, serving your family, serving your church. You know, from time to time, we tell you we have specific needs here in our church. We have a need right now for our tech team. We really need some people to step up and serve. And if you've got any interest or experience in audio, video, technology, we'd love to talk with you this morning. I know that Jeff Dunn, our our worship leader, or um, Sam or Bruce would be glad to talk to you as well. And then look at this one, serving my community. You know, many of you are doing that in significant ways. And then the last category, serving my world. Now, I know when I was putting this on the outline, I thought, you know, people are going to look at that and go, well, you know, that's for other people, serving the world. I mean, that's so grandiose, right? I'm having a hard time serving my family, much less the world. But can I give you some real practical suggestions for how you can serve the world? One is you can pray. Because we serve other people when we pray for them. And listen, there are believers all around the world that need our prayers. You can go on the website, Voice of the Martyrs, and you can find people that desperately need your prayers. And you can make that part of the rhythm of your day. You can pray for people by name and other places. And you often get reports about what God is doing. That's how you serve the world. And here's another way of serving the world. It's right here in our own backyard. We talked earlier this morning about this big event on the 10th of October, the CIN Prayer Run. This is a way to serve children in distant places in the world. You know, Children's Impact Network has done a fabulous job of rescuing kids. They've got an orphanage. They call it a life center because these kids find a new life. They've got a place in Bolivia that has about 70 to 80 boys, and every single one of those boys was neglected or abused or abandoned. They had no hope and no future, but now they do. And that's true of the Life Center in Honduras, and some of you from our church have been there more than once, and you've seen these kids, and their lives are being radically changed. And so here's what we can do. We can serve alongside this ministry, and we're going to do this event um, in conjunction with the walk, and You've got the information right there in front of you, right? Different ways that you can serve because we need people to be on those different teams. When you do that, you're helping to raise resources and those resources are changing the lives of these kids. And that's a way to serve other people in distant places around the world. So I want to encourage you to do this. If you're able to serve, would you just check a box? Let us know what you can do and take that and put it in the offering box as your gift to God this morning, okay? Now, let me do this. Let me close with this story. A number of years ago, when I was a firefighter, Chris and I were involved in a church right here um, called Wellington um, Church, and we were involved in serving 
in pretty significant ways in that church. And the pastor was going on a trip and he came to me and said, Dudley, um, I'm, I'm really looking for a speaker next week. Would you be willing to preach for me? And I was, um, I was terrified and stunned and I thought, I need a really good answer. So maybe if I give him a Bible verse, it'll work. And so I, I thought, what if I give him this verse? Oh, Lord, I'm just not a good speaker. Why don't you find somebody else? And I tried that. It just didn't work because God didn't find anybody else and the pastor didn't find anybody else. And so on a Sunday morning, here I am. And I, I had to speak three times. And so I chose as my passage the call of Moses from Exodus 3 because I was having a crisis of confidence. And I still remember as I was working on that message, I thought, how can I challenge people to you know, step up and serve God? And I had this really, what I thought was a great idea. And so I went to a friend of mine, and he has really big feet. And I said, can I borrow one of your shoes? And he says, why do you need a shoe? I said, just trust me, I need your shoe. And he gave me this giant red Converse sneaker. And it looked like it belonged to Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, it was ginormous. And so I'm, I'm concluding my message, and I've got this big red tennis shoe. And, and I said, look, I said, you know, this story about Moses, it's like this big red tennis shoe. Because when God calls you to serve, it feels like, man, I can't do that. Those shoes are too big for me. And isn't that true? I mean, church today, I mean, you think about what Moses says to God, you know, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? These shoes are just too big for me. And I'll tell you what, church, over the years that, that God has given me this incredible privilege of serving as your pastor, man, I've had this conversation with God so many times. Lord, those shoes are too big for me. God, this is too hard. I don't know how to do this, God. Do you know what I found, church? Is that when we step out in faith, God meets us. He really does. And listen, just looking out this morning, I see some of you that have heard God's call and you have stepped out in faith. And I'm sure that you felt at first, hey, these shoes are too big for me. But God came through. And I want to encourage you, when God calls you to serve, you know it could be serving at home. You know, some of you are, are having some issues in your marriage right now. And maybe there's some unresolved issues. Maybe there's some deep hurt from the past. And you know that God wants you to serve your wife or your husband sacrificially with deep love. And it's hard. And you feel like saying, God, you know, I know you want me to do that, but these shoes are too big for me. Or maybe you're a parent and you know that God wants you to serve your kids, that he wants you to be patient, that he wants you to teach them the principles of this book, and yet you come home at the end of the day and you are fried. You are so tired, and you feel like, God, I know that I should serve my kids, but these shoes are too big for me. This is too hard, God. Or maybe even this morning, you know, you hear this tug, you feel this tug on your heart because God wants you to step up. You know, maybe he wants you to be involved in a ministry here at the church or lead a Bible study or do something else. And that's your reaction. Lord, uh, I'd like to, but who am I that I should do that? These, these shoes are too big for me. I believe that's why the story is here. Because whenever God calls us to serve, when he calls us to wear those big shoes, he gives us the same promise that he gave Moses. I'll give you my presence and my power. And church, I know this from personal experience. When you put on the big shoes and you start walking in step with God's spirit, God will help you grow into those shoes. 
And you'll do remarkable things because of Christ that you never thought were possible. And this is what I often think about when I'm walking in the shoes that often seem too big for my feet. That one day we're going to get home and one day Jesus is going to meet us and one day he's going to put his hands on our shoulders and look us in the eye. And on that day, what I hope each one of us will hear are these words from Jesus. Well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. The world is broken. And people are hurting. They're carrying years of past regrets, failures, and pain. They're lost in a fog of lies, disillusioned by what the world says is happiness. They've fallen into the trap of sin, desperate to become the good person they want to be, but powerless to change. Burdened, angry, and helpless. But when we, the church, the hands of Jesus, reach out to the heavy-hearted, when we, the feet of Jesus, run to the fallen, when we remove our insecurities and let the light of Christ shine bright in the darkness. God moves. church, 
go all in. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we know that's true. That you move when we go all in. When we are serious, Lord, about serving Jesus and serving others. And Father, we know that we are the hands and feet of Christ. And that as we reach out to other people, Lord, that this happens. That freedom is found, that minds are renewed, that hearts are healed. And God, just thank you so much this morning for this incredible privilege of serving alongside the King. Lord, I pray this morning for the one who maybe has heard this message and they've never committed their life to Christ and they're understanding this really good news. And they're believing the bad news about themselves, that they're a sinner and they need a Savior. And I pray that God, even today, right now, on September the 27th, 2015, they would begin a journey with Jesus by simply saying, Lord, I need you. I admit I'm a sinner. I believe you died and rose again for my sins and I want to follow you. I want to be like you. And Lord, for those of us who know Jesus, I pray that more and more you'd make us like Jesus. Lord, make us servants who are willing to, to make sacrifices and take risks to reach a world that desperately needs hope. And Lord, some of us today, we want to do that, but we're not exactly sure how to do it. We're not sure what path to pursue or what assignment you've given us. God, I pray that you would make that so very clear. And I pray this now for all of us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.